Good morning. My name's Chris, and I am the intern. And you say? Let's try that again. My name is Chris, and I am the intern. I love that. That is just awesome. Makes me feel like home. Anyhow, today I want to talk to you about growing in maturity individually and as a community. Looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we will consider how being willing, honest, and open-minded can allow us to listen to and learn from a variety of voices. God equips us to equip each other as we partner with him to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth by making disciples. Here now, the story of God is written by the people of God. And um, up on the screen here, this is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 from the Message Bible. In light of all this, here is what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. And mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily, pouring yourself out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. You are all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. But that doesn't mean you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. The text for this is, he climbed the high mountain. He captured the enemy and seized the booty. (laughs) He handed it all out in gifts to the people. Is it not true that the one who climbed up also climbed down, down to the valley of earth? And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up, up to highest heaven. He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts. He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor, teacher, to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other. Adults, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. No prolonged infancies among us, please. We'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. The story of God from the people of God. Thanks be to God. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to his friends in the city of Ephesus. And for the first three chapters, he doesn't tell them one thing to do. He simply tells them who they are 
in this new reality of Christ. He says they're blessed and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and included and marked and sealed and alive and raised up. And on and on he goes, announcing who they are and what God has done for them and how spirit now dwells in their midst. And then in chapter 4, he begins to tell them what it practically looks like to live out this new reality in everyday life. First he tells them who they are, then he tells them what to do. In our passage today, he is telling them to keep moving. Now, Paul is locked up. It seems he is encouraging the church in general and its individual members in particular to move ahead anyway, to continue on the path of spiritual maturity. He's rejecting the idea of a one right way holy leader that we must follow. This is not a monarchy. The Spirit of God is on the community, its people, and its leaders. He's telling us we don't have to figure it out on our own or hire somebody. God has given us each other and given us gifts to share with others in their equipping. He's encouraging them and us to grow in maturity together, individually and as a community. We are to do so in unity, not in unison, but in unity using the variety of voices God has gifted us with. According to the text, we are to be, quote, permeated with oneness while not looking or acting the same. To use a musical metaphor, he has equipped us individually and as a community with a variety of voices, sopranos, altos, tenors, baritones, bass. While singing the same song, We each sing our own part, coming together in harmony, richer in depth and breadth than just a single voice or everyone singing the same part. Unity is not necessarily unison. God has provided a variety of voices to assist me on my journey of continuing spiritual maturity. He's provided us all, individually and as a community, with similar voices. The question is, are we willing, honest, and open-minded enough to listen and to learn from these voices and then join the choir? Before I sobered up and became part of a fellowship of 12-step recovery, I used to think that whatever the problem was, the solution was to figure it out on my own or hire somebody. Pull myself up by my bootstraps. That approach didn't work with alcoholism, and it doesn't work with much else in life. I walked around life with knots in my stomach, squirrels in my head. But early on, I discovered something that would untie the knots and sedate the squirrels. A drink. I would take that first sip, right? Ah, That old familiar feeling. Sweet relief. Yeah. Some people get the same relief from food, gambling, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, shopping, exercise, or controlling or worrying about other people. The problem was, and is, the relief is temporary and requires more and more and more of the substance or behavior. First I take the drink, then the drink takes me. 
It works for a while, but then it quits working. And then it turns on you. That's what happened to me. Alcohol quit working and started causing troubles. I tried to moderate on my own and then stop on my own, but I couldn't. I would read self-help books until I would pass out drunk. I was chronically depressed. I started having panic attacks on airplanes, in the back seats of cars, and on the inside seats of booths and restaurants. Probably in the inside seats of churches as well. I had to sit on the aisle. I went to the psychiatrist, the psychologist, and the pharmacist for relief. Ultimately, it didn't work. I tried to figure it out on my own. I hired several somebodies. Didn't work. Finally, I asked God for help. My prayer might have been something like this. Help! I'm not quite sure. What I'm sure about is that at that point, I was willing to pursue whatever path to healing he provided. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. God responded to my prayer by sending me to AA and putting me in a community of people who had an actual solution. In fact, their whole reason for existing was to share its message like with people like me and equip me to carry the message and serve others. You may have heard the statement that the church is the only institution on earth that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Well, AA's fifth tradition states that each group's primary purpose is to carry its message to the alcoholic that still suffers. I didn't have to try to figure it out on my own or hire anybody ever again. The man who brought me to my first meeting invited me to dinner with a group of guys after the meeting. Willingness carried me to that point. Now it was time for a lesson in honesty and open-mindedness. One of the voices at dinner was Danny M. Danny was 10 years sober at the time. Previously, he had lived under the bridge, ate out of dumpsters, drank Thunderbird wine, and sold his blood at the plasma for money. I couldn't imagine what I could learn from him. In reality, he taught me the truth about me. I told the group my little tale of woe, showed them my Ativan bottle, (laughs) and told them that I was a wine collector businessman with emotional troubles under the care of a psychiatrist, psychologist, and pharmacist. I wasn't sure what was wrong with me, but I thought it had something to do with my need to achieve and my type A personality. Danny laughed, and he told me that I was boring. (laughs) I asked him, why do you say I'm boring? He said, because I sounded just like him. I said, just like him? Just like you? He lived under a bridge, drank Thunderbird wine. How was I like him? He said, you think you're all these things, wine collector, businessman, under the care of professionals? Actually, you're just like me. You're a wino, crybaby, who runs to his high-priced professional drug dealer every time he doesn't get his way. I said, why is he being so mean to me? (laughs) Because it was the truth, the truth. He was telling it to me because I needed to hear it. He was carrying out his group's primary purpose. He was carrying the message to an alcoholic who still suffered. He could do it because he had the same problem, but he also had a solution. 
God had specifically gifted him to carry out this purpose. He spoke the truth in love. My spiritual maturation started that day. He went on to describe how he got better. He outlined the spiritual program of action, the 12 steps. He invited me to join the fellowship and take the 12 steps and be in the solution. Danny's now 28 years sober, and I'll have 18 years in July. To this day, we speak into each other's lives and serve others. You see, circumstances made me willing. God provided the apostle or prophet or whatever Danny is. By speaking the truth in love, he helped me become honest enough to admit that I couldn't figure it out on my own or hire somebody to fix my problem. Open-mindedness to a voice I would not normally listen to allowed me to hear the real solution and start on a path to it. I joined the choir. Our basic text in AA, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, describes it this way. We are people who would not normally mix. (laughs) But there exists among us a fellowship, a friendliness, and an understanding which is indescribably wonderful. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. Or as the message has Paul saying, everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. But that doesn't mean you should all look and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. So now, in our festival of metaphors here today, we're going to move from the musical metaphor to the orange plastic temporary construction fence metaphor. All right, you ready for that? Amen. You may have noticed the orange plastic temporary construction fence surrounding the inside of the sanctuary here this morning. If you haven't, come see me after the meeting. We might... You know, have to go to another meeting later. I might smell your breath, all right? Okay. You may be wondering why it's here. Well, here's what happened. Daryl found it on eBay for a really good price and had to buy it. He told me to come up with some metaphorical use for it, so he couldn't help himself. I'll tell him later. We have a 12-step program for that, by the way. Actually, a university in the Northeast ran an experiment. They set up a new playground with new equipment at a school of five-year-olds. The new equipment extended to every part of the playground, including the far reaches. Then, they then surrounded the entire playground with orange plastic temporary construction fencing. At playtime, the kids covered the playground, freely enjoying every piece of new equipment, even at the far reaches. The next day, the orange plastic temporary construction fencing was removed. At playtime, instead of freely enjoying the entire playground and all the equipment, the kids chose to remain frozen in the middle of the playground, huddled around the few pieces of equipment on the inside. That equipment was called its doctrine. It seems the removal of the boundary actually inhibited freedom. The orange plastic temporary construction fences helped define a safe zone 
producing a sense of security that promoted freedom to explore and play without fear. My prayer is that this church, is that the church in general, and Alamo Heights United Methodist Church, New Heights, in particular, is a safe zone. In our context here, I see the defined, at here, at this place, I see the defining boundaries as this. We are partnering with God to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth by making disciples. We recognize our sonship and daughterhood. We value the text. We add value to the world through constructive action. Cultivate honoring relationships, all while guided by the Spirit. Within that defining boundary, we have an invitation to trust and rest in community. The church is to be a safe place to wrestle. It is a safe place to play. It is a place of freedom. I've discovered that this church is a safe zone theologically as well. This is a place that highly values a variety of voices. It sees conversation and wrestling as an integral part of our tradition and as a critical part of the spiritual maturation of us as individuals and as a community. We are not a church culture that says, well, this is Wesleyan doctrine. His doctrine is first articulated in the 18th century. Our job is to memorize it and jam it down everybody's throat verbatim. That's, we don't do that much here at all. That was a joke. I'm laugh now. We don't do that much. Rather, under Pastor David's leadership, our culture says this, we are connected to the entire Judeo-Christian tradition, its scholarship and theologies. Yes, theologies, plural. We are part of the conversation that has been going on for thousands of years about who is God and who am I. How do we best share the good news of Jesus and live out our call to bring heaven to earth by making disciples? I get to see this, in, this culture in action every Tuesday at noon at the pastor's meeting. At that time, the pastors and others from this church, Asbury and elsewhere, meet in David's office to study the text that's going to be preached that week. Starting with the pastors that are preaching that week, the entire group gets to share, discuss, ask questions, and wrestle with the text. Here's a small sample of the variety of voices that contribute. Pastor Donna Strebe, the keeper of all things Methodist and spiritual. <laughs> Ryan Jacobson, our rabbi of all things Hebrew and Greek and of Ray Vanderlaan in Israel. Matt Scott, a prophetic voice and expert in bringing out people's gifts. Ruth Ann Lynn brings her depth to worship and liturgy. Daryl, who's a fine theologian in his own right, brings his ginger awesomeness. <laughs> Pastor Dinah and Pastor David hold it all together with honor and the occasional gentle rod of correction. <laughs> then there's me with my goofy recovery stories and what I learned from Amy, my therapist, last week. <laughs> it's my contribution. Most of, report, most of us report that we usually don't even write our sermons until after that meeting. The scholarship and insight shared is beyond seminary level. We are so blessed to have this forum. Most pastors have to slog it out on their own each week. 
Sometimes they have to go to DesperatePastor.com on Saturday nights and pay for a message. Around here, we don't have to figure it out on our own or hire somebody. We have a community with a variety of voices, gifted by God to equip the people of God, even the staff, to do the work of the ministry, moving to spiritual maturity. This week I asked David, Donna, Dinah, Daryl, Ryan, and Pastor Robert from Asbury, who are the authors, pastors, and theologians that most influence their thinking? Who are the variety of voices informing their teaching and ministry? The depth and breadth of the list is astounding. The list includes some you may have heard of and probably many that you haven't. But for the record, here is a partial list of names that the pastors identified as influences. Luke Johnson, Roberta Bondi, Barbara Brown Taylor, David McNinsky, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, N.T. Wright, David McNinsky, Rowan Williams, Walter Brueggemann, Bernay Brown, Miroslav Volt, Rob Bell, Tony Jones, Brian McLaren, David McNitsky, Mark Batterson, Houston Gonzalez, Alexander Shia, Diana Butler-Bass, Stanley Hauerwas, David McNitsky, Richard Hayes, Randy Maddox, Eugene Peterson, Abraham Joshua Heschel, Tom Long, Fred Craddock, and everybody now, David McNitsky, very good. Listening to a variety of voices is not dangerous in the context of community because we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers all around us. They're in the congregation and even on the staff. It is the job of those on the pastoral staff to, through prayer, study, discernment, discussion, and experience, define and establish the fence. And you'll notice it's orange, plastic, temporary construction fence. It can be moved. It's open. We can easily get to the outside. People can easily come in. It's not a cinder block and mortar wall of this is who we are and that's it. We're going to huddle up here. No, 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 no. We're in danger if we're in danger when trying to figure out on our own. Without connection to tradition, scholarship, and the conversation among the variety of voices that has been going on for thousands of years, we become babes in the woods and in danger of being an easy mark for imposters. God has given us gifts individually and to the community to equip us and lead us in spiritual maturity. If we are willing, honest, and open-minded enough enough to listen and learn and play and sing and join the choir Together, we can enjoy a maturing spirituality and a life more loving and inclusive and joyful. And the good news is that we don't have to figure it out or hire somebody. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Bow your heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word that informs us. We thank you for the people of God who went before us and recorded their experience with the divine so that we might come to know you and know ourselves better. God, if there's anyone in this room here today who's struggling with addiction or compulsion or some other trouble, help them reach their bottom, God. 
I'm not going to pray that they get better right now. I'm going to pray that they realize that they can't do it on their own and they can't hire somebody. But you have provided apostles, prophets, evangelists, other people who have suffered, who can speak life into their lives. So, Father, whoever it is that needs help, would you please give them the, grant them the courage to say something to somebody? Send them to me after the meeting here today. And, Father, we thank you for this place, this place where we can grow spiritually together. We can trust our leadership here. We can trust the variety of voices that you have gifted us with, God, and we thank you for that. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.